0: That, that's my line. <laughs> Hi, Paul. Hi there. So I'm glad that you're all here today. Um, as you may have heard, my name is Paul. Uh, I'm one of the one of the pastors here at Capital. Um, among other things, I get to be a part of Forward, uh, along with my friend Tim and my friend Austin, and, and, and a, a wonderful. Um, A wonderful group of leaders uh, where where every Wednesday night we hang out with uh, young adults and young professionals. So if that's you and you're looking for some disciples of Jesus to party with on a Wednesday night, uh, come see us around seven o'clock. That's what we do on Wednesdays. Uh, Today we continue uh, week three of our series, Overflowing Hope. And base camp for our exploration on hope has been Romans 15, verse 13. And here the Apostle Paul prays, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this verse tells us that hope is not an entity in and of itself. Hope is, is the combination of the sustained joy and the transcendent peace that only God can give. But hope requires something else. And the bad news is God cannot give it to you. It's out of his control. See, the other the other element of, uh, of hope, it's something that only we can give to God. It's our trust. So before we look at this non-negotiable for a life of hope, let's pause one more time and invite God to open our hearts to him. Jesus is we want to simply ask what we've been asking for the past several weeks, that the God of hope would give us the faith to trust the process, to believe that he will fill us with joy and peace as we trust in him. Jesus, we do trust you, but we pray that we might trust you more so that your joy and peace would produce in us the kind of overflowing hope that that carries us through every situation in such a way that it inspires others around us to put their trust in you so that they can experience your enduring hope for themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, as always, I take a moment to myself and I pause and I ask you to steady my rowdy heart bring silence and stillness and clarity to my mind and anoint these stammering lips of clay to be a good steward of your word. Amen. So I want to start by asking you just a few questions. I'm going to show you a couple of things and I, and, I, and I want your feedback on this. I'm going to show you two rooms and which room feels more relaxing, more calming Like you could sit there for a little bit. Is it this one? Okay, drink it in, because there's a lot there. Or is it this one? Again, this isn't about your preference, your style, how you would decorate your home. We're just asking, what's more relaxing? What's more calming? I'm gonna ask you another question. Who do you think is having a deeper, richer, more intimate conversation? two people walking down this road or the two people on this road? What seems more enjoyable? Getting your produce from this environment or maybe this one? See, the room with the simple design is soothing because there's less stimulation and more space. Everything about this room invites me to just breathe, to just be. I instantly imagine myself sitting on that bed for hours, reading a good book or having a meaningful conversation with my wife. When I look at the two people in this photo, I'll be honest, curiosity and a playful envy springs up in me because something tells me this conversation is not happening in a hurry. I imagine that if I pass by them, they will pause and they will smile at me because they're not in a rush. If you've ever been apple picking, you know that there is nothing like the feeling of walking through a The spacious rose of an orchard. The smell of life emanating from apples that are, they need to create a new word for this because they are beyond fresh. Because they they are still experiencing the continuous inflow of life-giving water and nutrients that come from still being connected to the tree. And yeah, it's more work to pick an apple yourself, but there is nothing like biting into a crisp apple and hearing the sound echo through the orchard. See, the room I showed you, the conversation that we peeked in on, this way of experiencing an apple, what they all have in common is what I'm learning to call an invitation to inefficiency. It's an invitation to just slow down. An invitation to experience the best that life has to offer, but in a way that does not create exhaustion, but creates the renewal of rest. See, I don't want an invitation into that crowded room or a hurried conversation or a congested store, but what I do want is an invitation into these other images because what I really want is to be in those spaces that feel less like an escape from life and more like what life is meant to be and how it's meant to be lived. And I want to ask you one more question. How many of us have calendars and schedules that look like this. Okay, real quick, Jason, get that off the screen because we don't want to trigger PTSD and all the people that that is their actual calendar. See, in our world, people don't spend sometimes crazy amounts of money on calendars and planners and efficiency apps to help them do less in a day. We pay money for things that help us do more in a day because we live in a culture that equates getting the most out of your day with doing as much as you can in a day. But why are our our schedules crammed so full? Why do we feel this compulsion to work extra hours? Why don't we take more time off? Why don't we spend more time doing the things that help us relax Fill us. Now, I'm going to give you a 100% valid response to all these questions that I just asked you. That's just the way life is, isn't it? But I would like to give you an equally valid response to that. Yeah, but something inside of us knows that's not the way it should be. Something inside of us says that life isn't meant to be lived, rushing from one hectic, overcrowded space to the next. Something inside of us knows that when Jesus said in John 10.10 that he came that we might have life to the full, what he did not mean was a full schedule with no room to rest, no room to relax, no time and space to breathe, and without the ability to just be. And look, you know me. I'm a creator, created in the image of a creator God. So I know the satisfaction that comes from making things and getting things done. But I spend so much of my life trying my best to get the most done in a day. Instead of slowing down and praying that God would help me get the right things done in a day. Why? Now look, I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to be honest with you. So I'm going to ask you not to judge me, and I'm going to ask you to be okay with the fact that at least at least one of your pastors is a human. Here's the truth. More often than I want to admit, the reason I try to get as much done in a day as possible is that I don't completely trust God. I mean, come on. I I, I know I should trust God. And I sit up here week after week, Wednesday after Wednesday, and I say that I trust God. But my actions don't act like I trust God. Instead, I act like if I don't read the right book, listen to the right podcast, reread the right article on the right day, I won't have the right thing to say to the right person whenever they ask for my opinion. I act like if I don't do my job perfectly, everyone around me is going to have a miserable day because they won't be able to do their job perfectly because in order for them to do their job, I got to do mine. I act like if I say no to someone who asks me for my time, they will hate me, leave our church and denounce God on their way out. And I appreciate your laughter, but that's a real fear. See, I act like if I, if I suggest or push back against my wife's opinion or a friend's input, they will think that I am controlling. I act like if I don't drop everything when my kids need something... They'll quit playing sports, start listening to music that I don't understand, dye their hair weird colors, and then start playing music that I don't understand. They're going to move out when they're 17, get a whole bunch of tattoos, and they will never speak to me, my wife, or God ever again. Except when I was a teenager, I quit sports, started listening to music my folks didn't understand, dyed my hair weird colors, played in bands that made music that my folks didn't understand. I moved across the country a few days before my 18th birthday, got a whole bunch of tattoos, and yet, in three weeks, I'm going to go on vacation all by myself with my mama. And when I get home, I'll see my pops because he will have already been here in Salt Lake spending time with his daughter-in-law, my wife, and his grandkids. And I'm stoked about all of this because, oh yeah, I still love my parents and I hang out with them every chance that I get, even though they did not treat me like I was the center of the universe when I was a child. Now look, my folks were not and are not perfect, but here's what they got right. Here's how people like them sleep at night. Here's how disciples of Jesus go back to work after letting people down. Here is how you can face giants and climb mountains with joy and peace and overflowing hope that knows, yeah, life ain't fair, but my God's not finished. In every situation, what these people do is they say to themselves, trust that you can trust him. Trust that you can absolutely 100% trust God. See, they live like they trust God with their relationships, with their careers, with, with their health. They trust God with their own bank accounts. They trust God with the world economy, and they trust God with whoever is sitting in whatever political office. But they do not just sit around and do nothing. People like this, they 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 do their best to steward their abilities and 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 use the influence that God has given them, and then, as the song says, they find rest in the Father's hands because they know how to leave the rest in the Father's hands. And I don't know your situation; it may be beyond stressful. You might even say it is hopeless here's the great irony here's the thing that I wish I could have a one-on-one with God and be like you gotta change that bro that's just not working out for me the truth is the great irony is hope is born in hopeless situations because hope is needed in hopeless situations see we don't tend to pray for hope when everything is going our way and when we've got everything under control do we? But that is why the Apostle Paul specifically prays, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. See, that is how you begin to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, if you want joy and peace that creates overflowing hope, even in hopeless situations, trust that you can trust him. Trust that you can trust him. See, but we don't want to just tell you the ideal way to live today. That would be kind of like the the equivalent of just showing you all those pictures from earlier, but not inviting you into the space. So we do want to invite you into the space, a space of trust, a space where you can experience a passage of scripture. See, Tim and Austin and I, we want to give you an opportunity to experience Psalm 62. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And as you sit there with your eyes closed, I'm going to pray a real short prayer. And then I'm going to read this real short Psalm. As you continue to just sit with your eyes closed and listen and listen to the story that unfolds in this Psalm. More importantly, listen to how the Psalmist reacts to their story by trusting that they can trust him. And when the psalm is over, Tim is going to play for a few moments to give us room to just sit and let the Spirit speak to us. And then we'll walk through the psalm, and I'll share a few thoughts along the way. So here we go. Spirit, come. Speak to us as we slow our breath. Still and slow our minds. We give you space to speak because you give us room to breathe. Give us the trust we need to trust that we can hear from you. Psalm 62. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock, and He is my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. But how long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find your rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. Selah. Surely the lowborn are but a breath. The highborn... (laughs) but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. So do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your hearts on them. One thing God has spoken. Two things I have heard. belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. or you are welcome to keep them closed or close them at any point in this message in order to focus on what God is saying so you can drown out what I'm saying. It's not going to hurt my feelings. This psalm begins, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. With no guilt and no shame, ask yourself, is your soul at rest right now? When your family, when your friends, when your co workers, when anybody thinks of you, do they think of rest? Or do they think of stress? Why? Are you doing everything you can? Are you stressing in order to save yourself from a life of poverty, from a life of loneliness? Are you struggling to avoid a life of struggle, of busyness, of pain? Well, the good news is if that's true, You do not have to leave here with the same weight that you carried in. As you heard, whoever wrote this psalm, they was going through some stuff, huh? Their situation was hopeless. But before they step into their hopeless situation, they set their mind on the God of hope. See, the psalmist rests in God because they live like their salvation actually truly comes from him. And the beauty of using this psalm to perform a soul audit is that it shows me at least right up front what I've most likely done wrong and where I've gone off the rails. See, how many of us work as if it's all only on us and we forget to pray with peace and joy and thankfulness, knowing that it is only by the grace of God that we can escape a life of restless earning because true rest, true acceptance, and true salvation is freely offered and found in him. The Hebrew has, has a word for rest, but the two times rest shows up in Psalm 62, it's not the usual word. It's dumiyah. And dumia it means silence, stillness. See, rest is a great translation of dumia because it gets to the end goal of what silence and stillness creates. But we're pausing here to look at this and unpack this word because if you're anything like me, the number one thing that keeps you from rest is all the noise of life. I, I, I made it a goal this week to slow down, to rest. To make sure that I sat up here today, not a hypocrite. I did everything I could to find silence. And here's what I discovered. Even this morning, as I sat on my couch before anybody was awake, my heater makes a lot of noise to keep my house warm. And when the heater went off, my refrigerator makes a lot of noise to keep my groceries cold. And then as I drove here, I was reminded that revving engines and squealing brakes create our drive time soundtracks. That is, if we're not playing a song or a podcast or an audiobook on our stereo. That's right. And these things are not bad. They're not wrong. I'm just trying to point out that we cook, we clean, we commute, we exercise, we do pretty much everything with noise. And the psalmist knows that when the noise of life begins to rob them of their joy and peace, when that thing that we turn on in order to calm us actually causes all this adrenaline and stimulation in a negative way, the first thing that the psalmist does, they get still. They run and find silence. They stop. They sit with God. See, they know that life is raging around them. And they know that there is no amount of work, there is no amount of effort that they could ever put in that could ever stop life from coming at them. So before they step into their problem, they just sit in silence. They sit in the stillness. They rest in God. See, they have what I so often don't. The faith to stop they have the faith to stop because their faith is not built on themselves it's built on God and they remind themselves truly he is my rock and my salvation he is my fortress I will never be shaken see the storyteller in me wants you to see something that last phrase I will never be shaken literally in Hebrew it just says I will not be greatly shaken Now, I point this out because as you heard earlier, the psalmist will repeat these opening verses, but with some slight yet very significant differences. Hang on to that. The psalmist begins by trusting that they can endure the storms of life while experiencing the rest of God. They know that the wind and the waves will come and they are honest enough to admit that they might get a little shaken, but they won't be greatly shaken. After securing themselves in the rest that comes from knowing that God is their rock, their salvation, and their fortress, whew, the psalmist steps into the storm. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning tower or this leaning wall, this tottering fence? The two times the psalmist says you in this verse, it's the second person plural of the word. It's the equivalent of my friend Chris and everyone else from Texas who says, all y'all. This isn't just one person coming at him. It's all y'all coming at him. All y'all are assaulting me. All y'all are trying to throw me down. And this phrase, throw me down, by the way, it's a Hebraism for kill me. And that's why the psalmist admits all on their own. They are, they are as unstable as a fence that is about to collapse but they wade deeper still into the waters of betrayal. Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Selah. The word surely in this verse is the same Hebrew word truly in verse one. Just as the psalmist is certain rest is only found in God, they are certain that these folks are trying to take them down. These folks are saying one thing to the psalmist's face, but trash talking them behind their back. See, the noise of their life is making everything confusing. The the noise of their mouths, it's too much for me. I'm hearing the noise of what they're saying, but I'm also hearing the noise, the rumors that they're out to get me. The noise is unsettling. The noise is frustrating. The noise is making it almost impossible for me to know who to trust. I just need the noise to stop. I need the world to stop. I need silence. I need rest. Dumiah. Yeah. Dumiah. Dumia. Now, you probably noticed that strange little word at the end of verse four. Selah. Now, a major part of learning, and so many of you know this, the major, a major part of learning a language is memorizing vocabulary words. Mm-hmm. And when you learn Hebrew, you learn that selah means technical poetic notation of undetermined meaning. (laughs) Let it just, just drink it in, let that shape your discipleship. (laughs) Now, because they don't exactly know what it means, that's one reason why some Bibles uh, don't include this word uh, or they don't translate this word and have it show up. And instead they just include a little footnote, an A or a B or something. They tell you to go down to the bottom and it's just going to say uncertain on this meaning. Scholars have debated Selah uh, its meaning uh, for a very long time, but regardless of the nuance of each interpretation, what they all have in common is that this word is meant to make us stop, to sit, and to reflect back before we move forward. Reflect on everything that we know up to this point, perhaps as a way to put everything in perspective. See, in Psalm 62, when things are at their worst, when when the noise is at its most chaotic, we remember that our souls find silence and stillness and rest in God. We remember when people or situations seem bent on destroying us, our salvation comes from God when we feel unstable he is our rock when we when we need a retreat from the battle well he's our fortress. So what's overwhelming you today what or, or or who is causing chaos in your life? what won't let up from trying to knock you down? in the name of King Jesus may your soul find true rest in God today the rest of the God whose love will never leave you, whose love will always sustain you. In the name of King Jesus, I invite you to Selah, to reflect on the truth that you can trust, that you can trust him. As Tim plays, step out of the struggle for a minute and step into the silence and rest of God. Leave whatever is troubling you in his hands. And then listen to the words Austin sings and trust that they're true for you too. psalmist has silenced the voices of chaos by reflecting on the rest of God. What once tried to destroy them has now given birth to hope because the psalmist declares, yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. See, the enemy tried to surround them with doubt and hopelessness. But look at what the psalmist has done. The psalmist surrounds and overtakes and swallows up the chaos with the peace and the hope of God. In verse 2, the psalmist says they won't be greatly shaken. But now, now that they have been delivered from death, now that they have overcome their trial, now that the senseless voices have all been silenced... Now that they've stopped living as if all of life depends on them and instead have begun to live in the hope of God, the psalmist testifies I will not be shaken. Yeah. Period. Because their life is built on the unshakable rock of the hope and love of God, everything else starts to come into perspective. My salvation and my honor depend on God, He is my mighty rock, my refuge. When you're hiking and the rain starts to pour, you look for refuge from the storm. See, the rain keeps falling, but you're protected. The psalmist knows that life's not going to stop coming down, but they also know that God will protect them in the storm. No matter how, uh, no, no matter the force of the wind or the rain, no matter who tries to topple them whenever they're weak or destroy them when they're down, the psalmist has already experienced the salvation of God. He's already been their rock. He is their refuge, their stability and their shelter. So they remind themselves not to trust themselves, but to trust that they can trust him. when the psalmist reminds themselves that their honor depends on God, they are free, listen to this, they are free of the burden of maintaining appearances or earning acceptance. The word honor is kavod, and it's often translated glory. I mean, this is a word that is used about God. Its most basic meaning is weight, like like my weight in pounds, like when but, but but they use it metaphorically the same way we do when we say that someone can throw their weight around we mean that person has the influence to make some things happen the psalmist has an utterly realistic view of themselves they don't claim to be someone of great influence but because their kavod their ability to make things happen depends on god well they can walk in peace and humility while at the same time experiencing the joy that comes from knowing that they are infinitely valuable. This is why the psalmist implores everyone, or all y'all, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour your hearts out to him, for God is our refuge. Selah. The second line, you're going to love this, the second line literally reads, pour your hearts out to his face. See, this is the God who is watching you. He is the God who is watching over you, looking right at you, whatever you're going through. There is nothing that you experience that he goes, whoa, didn't see that coming. (laughs) This is the God who says, my love is not and never will be far from you. Turn around, pour your heart out to my face because I am with you. See, it's not just when everything has gone bad that we say la. When he delivers us, we, we're reminded of why we put our hope in him in the first place. When we feel him, when we are in his presence, when we experience the hope that we have in him, we, we put our hope in him all over again. See, earlier we, myself included, admitted that we often only look for hope in hopeless situations. But there is a way to never feel hopeless Easier said than done, but there is a way. See, if we will continually humble ourselves and admit that our lives from start to finish are a gift from God and that we are precious and valuable because the creator of the universe, love incarnate, invites us into relationship with him and into rest in him. If we continually remind ourselves while we're on the mountaintop that our hope and our trust is in him, Then our knee jerk reaction in the valley of the shadow of death will be I will fear no evil. I will fear no bad thing. Because my hope and my rest comes from God. See, storms will come, but we will never be shaken. So, once again, in the name of King Jesus, I want to invite you to sit. I want to invite you to rest in the stillness that he offers. Be still and know that he is the God who loves you and values you and gives you infinite worth that no one can take from you, not even you, not even your own mistakes. Because whatever you may do, it is no match for his love. Rest in that hope as Austin sings.
1: Your love sustained. It sinks in
0: is in Him. We, we become the most stable, the most humble, and I'm just going to say it, the most likable versions of ourselves. Verse 9 reads, Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they're only a breath. The word translated breath is hevel. Hevel's most famous usage comes in the book of Ecclesiastes, and there it's often translated meaningless. Uh, Psalm 62 is a great resource for properly understanding what the teacher uh, in Ecclesiastes is getting at. Because earlier in verse 7, the psalmist admits that their kavod, their weight, the weight of their influence, it, it only comes from God. And here they uh, they contrast the kavod of God with the Hevel. The weightlessness of humanity. And hear me, this is not a negative view of humanity. This is the most liberating and uplifting view because it frees us from the need to put others down in order to lift ourselves up, it frees us from comparing ourselves with others. It empties, at least it has the ability to empty everyone of their proclivity towards pride in their high status, and it removes any sort of shame that we might feel when we find ourselves at a low status. See, the family or country that we were born into does not determine the weight of our worth. God does. And when we learn to not put our trust in our own status... It gets easier to not make the mistake of putting our trust in our stuff. Verse 10 says, Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Even if your bank account grows from honest hard work, we don't set our heart on our wealth. We don't bend our will and incline our every thought towards our money. Why? Well, As Biggie has been preaching for almost 30 years and the Bible has been preaching for 3,000 years, no money, no problems. And after showing us that our hope is not dependent on the people around us, on the status that our birth gives us, or the money that our abilities make us, the psalmist concludes their testimony with an invitation to learn from their experience. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. That's the first thing. See, the, the confusing. now that the confusing voices have been silenced and now that the, the psalmist can, can begin to hear the voice of God clearly, they want you and I to know the power of God's unfailing love that gives you the strength to stop and the peace in your soul to rest in every situation. Fear has no power over you because the joy of God that creates overflowing hope destroys hopelessness. The second thing the psalmist has learned about God, you reward everyone according to what they have done. And remember what this psalm is about. It's about training our souls to put their trust and hope in God. When the psalmist says that God rewards us according to what we have done, they're reminding us that, that if we put our trust in ourselves and our abilities and our status and our wealth, we'll be rewarded in kind with the level of peace and hope, if we can call it hope, that our own abilities can give us. But if our souls find rest... If we live life in the stillness and silence of the unfailing love of God, he will reward us with true joy and true peace that will create overflowing hope in us that will begin to spill out of us and onto those around us. The kind of contagious hope that helps our colleague breathe when things don't go according to plan. The kind of hope that renews the faith of a family member who thinks God is absent. The kind of hope that helps our spouse or our friend let go of their worry about the future. The kind of hope that teaches our kids or those that we have influence over that no matter what you face in life, you can trust that you can trust him whether you believe that in this moment or not, I want to invite you one more time to sing to your soul, to preach to your doubt that there is joy, there is peace, there is restorative rest and overflowing hope in the unfailing loving arms of God.
2: So are we going lean back in the loving arms Of a beautiful Father Breathe deep Know that he is good His a love Like no other So I will For Father, see it, and breathe and you know all that he is good, he's a love like no other.
1: It's better, it's better It's better, it's better It's better, it's better Your love is better better, It's
2: better It's better, it's better It's better, it's better I will only Loving arms of a beautiful father. Yes, I will. And breathe deep, know that He is good. His love like no other. His love like no other. Father,
0: collectively, we lean back into your arms. Collectively, we breathe deep your goodness, your faithful, loving kindness. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that this is the first time that they've ever leaned back and trusted your strength to carry them through. In the name of King Jesus, reward them with peace, reward them with stillness, reward them with silence. Let them believe and live, more importantly, from this day forward like they trust you. Lord, I pray for those of us who say we are disciples of Jesus. But occasionally we take our eye off the ball. We fumble things a little bit. Help us to breathe deep. Help us to pause. And to know that you are better. Your love is better. It is stronger and more sustaining than any misstep that we could ever take. Help us to trust you that as often as we need you, you will be right there to wrap us up in your loving arms and to restore us to that full life that you promise in John 10.10. We pray all these things in the name of King Jesus. Amen. So your homework this week is just to continue what we've already been doing. First, I want to invite you to pray Psalm 62 every morning this week. Start by stopping. Start by talking to yourself. Truly, my soul, find rest in God. Remind yourself. He is your strength. He is your salvation. Start your day that way. And then we we didn't have a chance to talk about this. um, But the second thing, I want to invite you to schedule statio at least three times a day this week. It's just this uh, fancy Latin word, um, but it's a beautiful word. It, It means the holy pause. Sometimes it's called the time between the times. So many of us, and it's understandable. So many of us have back-to-back meetings or back-to-back commitments throughout the day. Put it in your calendar. Cut a meeting off five minutes early. Tell someone you won't be there until about five, six minutes late. Chances are they're going to be running behind too because we all run around in a rush. But schedule holy pauses where you just take a break and you just sit and rest in the goodness of God. Throughout your day, And then here's your third one. You saw this coming. Pray Psalm 62 every night this week before you go to bed. See if it maybe has an impact on your sleep. See if maybe you're less inclined to wake up in the middle of the night mid-thought trying to solve a problem. Self-confession. Fortify your day with Psalm 62 just for one week and see what happens. The graphic for our one thing will be available later this week for you to utilize however you want as that reminder to trust that you can trust in him. If you're here today or if you're joining us online and and, and, and you need prayer, please send us an email. Prayer at capitalchurch.com or care at com. We got all kinds of ways for you to get a hold of us. It all gets rerouted somewhere. If you need prayer, we're gonna hear about it, but more importantly, as you type that. God is hearing it. We would love to pray with you. Here is my prayer for you this week as you stand. May the week to come look a lot more like Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, than Black Friday. May you trust that there is true joy and peace that transcends understanding in the unfailing loving arms of God. May you trust that there is never-ending hope in the stillness, in the silence, and in the rest that he offers. And may you be better than me so often. May we, because I want to get in on this,
1: (laughs) may we trust that we can trust Him. Grace and peace. We'll see you next week.